Romans 1, I'm going to read one verse before you're seated. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God bless you, may be seated. If you remember, two Thursday nights ago, we talked about the difference between trials, the difference between trials, chastisement, and wrath. And I want to give you an introductory lesson. I had several people, because I plan on doing this, but I had several people to encourage me to go ahead and talk about these. And now we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. Now, we have talked about the love of the Lord in, in so many recent services. And quite frankly, I would rather minister tonight about the love of the Lord rather than the wrath of God. As we've stated in our last Thursday evening session, Wrath is something that God, even though He has experienced it many times, it is an unnatural thing for God. Because in every case, wrath that comes from God comes as a result of God being provoked. Now, we'll not be able to review everything that we went over naturally. We'll not be able to do that because we'd spend all evening just teaching the other lesson. We took you to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and it would be good for us to turn there, and we will review a little bit. Hopefully then, next Thursday evening, we'll be able to talk about chastisement. We may be able to cover chastisement and trials in the same one, same lesson. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 10, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of this destroyer. Now we talked about the tempting of, of the Lord that caused the wrath of God. Now all of these things happen unto them for ensamples, or examples, that they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him think of these things, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you. Now, the temptation that's taken you, uh, if you respond correctly to temptation, it becomes a trial to you but you do not experience the wrath of God. Now, that simply means that things could go wrong. But trials, for the most part, come as a result of satanic pressures and powers against you. Whereas temptation, I, I say temptation, the wrath of God comes upon mankind as a result of of him failing the test when the test comes. 
Now, what happens in, in many cases, some people do not know if they're being chastised, if they're just involved in a trial, or if the wrath of God is kindled against them. So we're going to start right down to, to the bottom of the list. We talked about the wrath of God last two weeks ago. We're going to talk about it in a little more detail tonight. Now, the wrath of God comes, for the most part, as a result of tempting Christ, tempting the Lord. Now, what happened here was that Israel got into the habit of just murmuring or complaining about everything. And you will find this to be true, that every now and then you will develop an unthankful attitude or an ungrateful spirit. Now, people who are not thankful for the things that God has given to them will ultimately fall into the area of tempting God. Now, how did Israel tempt God? Well, <clears throat> first place, their accusation was against Moses. Now, <clears throat> in, in many cases, leadership is inseparable from, from Christ himself. Now, please understand now what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that leaders are God. But you will find in the Scripture that, that the anointing of, of oil, the laying on of hands, is symbolical of, of God stretching forth his hand and God laying his hand upon the individual, and the oil is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. <coughs> so it's symbolical of God, the, or the Holy Ghost flowing from God and through God into the individual. So, you know, even in the truth, there are many symbols that are found. Uh, you will find that, that uh, the gift of healing and, and miracles were in operation in the New Testament, and when they were in operation, for the most part, they did not anoint or they did not lay hands upon people. You notice how they, they just simply went to them and picked them up or commanded them to get up and walk and such. Uh, devils were cast out without people laying hands upon them. That just simply means that, that <coughs> some people, even though the Lord loves them, they're not in a position in which the Lord actually stretches forth his hand, and from the comforting hand of the shepherd, the Holy Spirit flows. The instruction in the book of James, if there be any sick among you, the Bible says that they should call forth for the elders of the church. Some of you who are new and you're not involved in the stewardship classes downstairs, turn to uh, uh, James the 14. The fifth chapter, pardon me. <coughs> James 5, <clears throat> is any among you sick? Now this is speaking of uh, among you, that's speaking of the body of believers. What happens? The Bible says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now it does not say here that they lay hands upon them. <clears throat> but, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> the anointing of oil and was usually done by the laying on of the hands. So, now this is speaking of the, the believers. It is a 
normal, natural thing for believers just to trust the Lord. Now, it is unnatural, it is unnatural for a sinner man to trust God. And he is not under the protective custody or care of the shepherd, who is God. Leaders are under shepherds, or secondary shepherds. So, this, when you come up and we anoint you with oil... What you are doing, you are submitting yourself to the authority of the church, or at least you should be, or to the under-shepherd. This symbolizes then the Lord working directly to you. However, He does this through pastors or through spiritual leaders. You may say, well, I thought it was direct. Uh, It sounds to me like it's very indirect. But, but I use this vernacular because if you will find in many cases in the Bible, it, it, it is explained that way. When we teach stewardship, we talk about God, the family of God, and the work of God. And in many, many cases, you cannot separate God from the family of God. See, when Saul was struck down on the road to Damascus, and he was left blind there, a voice came from heaven that said, Saul, Saul... Why persecutest thou me? And Saul, knowing that, that uh, God or, or that, that the Lord had spoke to him, uh, he asked this question, Who art thou, Lord? What was in his mind was, Now when did I actually, when did I persecute the Lord? Uh, I, I don't recall this. Well, you see, he was present at, at Stephen's stoning. And he held the coats there. And Stephen was a man who was full of the Holy Ghost. And while he was chosen as one of the deacons or one of the uh, ministers, a deacon actually means minister. It's a particular type of minister. He was chosen as a minister in, in Acts 6. The next thing you hear about him, he's, he's preaching the gospel in the streets. But you see, the association that God had with this minister was an association of, of, of it was a, a oneness association there was unity there and, and when you persecuted Stephen the Lord said you persecuted me while the Lord was working through Stephen and they didn't really throw stones at God did they in fact Paul later on said I thought I was doing God a service by putting these people to death and that's what he thought But nevertheless, the association was there. When you pay tithing, you pay it to the Lord. The tithe is the Lord's. However, the Bible very carefully prescribes that tithing is to be used for the ministry and for the support of the ministry. That's the purpose of tithing. Now, that doesn't mean that the minister of a church takes every bit of the tithing, regardless of the size of the church, and that's his personal income but it is to be used by the ministry and for the ministry. Here in our church, we use the tithing. We have, a, uh, I wouldn't say a large staff, but a pretty large staff for the size of our church, and the tithing is used for the support of the ministry here. So while it may appear to be very indirect, as far as the Bible vernacular is concerned, God wants us to have some tangibles 
to remind us constantly of the intangible. And so he does put spiritual leaders in the church. Now, you see what happened when they tempted, when they tempted Christ. They actually, what they were doing, they were saying, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Well, first place they've got to understand that this business of coming out there wasn't Moses' idea to start with, was it? Wasn't it Moses even argued with God about doing it? He tried to get out of himself. He didn't want to do it. He said, well, well Lord, and, and I can just see him there as he's arguing with God. And, and <clears throat> you know, it's like a man, you tell a man, man, oh, you really look bad tonight. You let three or four people tell him that, and he just gets feeling sick all of a sudden. And uh, every now and then I start to tell somebody about, about this condition that I have. I've had now for two or three weeks about, you know, my, almost like a, a pneumonia that I've been carrying around here. And, <clears throat> and it's a strange thing, you know. I, I, can, I can just manipulate and, and uh, do everything that I need to do all day long and even though I don't feel well, but I start talking about it, and the first thing I want to do is start <coughs> coughing. <coughs> I just see Moses as he sits there trying to trying to 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 tell the Lord, you know, I I I God, you you know how it is. I I I can't. I'm not a. I just can't hardly go before people and talk talk, you know. So he was trying to get out of it. Isn't that right? And and so it wasn't his idea. And and when he led them out as far as the Red Sea, and here Pharaoh and his army were coming. There were mountains on both sides. There was nothing but just open water in front of them. And, and, and the Lord had to tell him, Now, Moses, you stand still. Just stand here. Stand real still now. And stretch forth your rod and see the salvation of the Lord. Why did God want him to stand still? He probably wanted to run. <laughs> I think I would have, wouldn't you? But when he got out in the, the wilderness, the people then started murmuring about everything. And if you want to find out <clears throat> about this tempting the Lord, you read the story of Korah. You remember the story of Korah? How that Korah led many people against the leadership of Moses. And the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all of the people that were murmuring and complaining against Moses. Isn't that something? Now we talked to you last Thursday evening. Now I keep referring to last Thursday evening. Two weeks ago on Thursday evening. From the book of James. And we talked to you about gossip. Some people see that they, they get into this habit of complaining about everything. This seems to be the nature of people. <clears throat> they just complain about everything. And uh, it is not easy to keep human flesh disciplined. It, in fact, it's most difficult. So <clears throat> people can get into this rut... Everything they see, there's something wrong with it. Now, what Christians have to do is constantly stop and say, wait a minute. Now, I'm not going to look on the bleak side of life. I'm going to start counting my blessings. 
And you have to offset the bad with the good. Now, if you are looking for fault in me, you're going to find it in a hurry. You may say, well, Brother Grant, uh, why would you admit that? Because, you see, I see everyday things that I do that I am not happy with. I respond in ways that I don't like. And for the most part, people can see you better than you can see yourself. And if I see this much wrong with myself, I wonder sometimes how you can stand me. So if you're looking for something, you'll always find that in people. But uh, the worst thing that you can do is to get in this habit of every time somebody does something, look for something wrong in it. wonder why he did that. Well, what's that for? What about this? I think I'll go call and find out. You know, sometimes there's no rhyme nor reason why people do things. They just do it. You know, if you ask them, why'd you do this? They may say, well, I don't know. I didn't even think. See? Now, we're going to be covering some of these things as we go through the Scripture because they're very easily defined when we look in the Scripture. But basically, the wrath of God comes as a result of an individual falling into unrighteousness or a state of unrighteousness. <clears throat> now, we're not talking about somebody who's overtaken in a fault. Turn to Galatians 6, verse 1, and we'll deal with that and we'll move on. Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now see, the Lord can come and tempt a person like Job was tempted. He can go into one of these deep trials. Can he not? Now, here's a man that went into a trial. I mean, trouble set in. What happened? He failed God. Now, <clears throat> the scripture says this man was overtaken in a fault. That simply means that, that he did something that was not right. He responded in a way that was not Christian. He acted in an embarrassing way. It brought reproach upon the congregation. He that is overtaken in a fault. Now, the Bible says restore such a one. Now, who should do the restoring? Not just everybody. Now, I'm a firm believer in this. Not just everybody. I think that the spiritual leaders, the elders and spiritual leaders, the ministers and elders of the congregation should do the restoring. The restoration should come not from people who are novices, not from people who are carnal. So you see, if you see somebody that's done something wrong, it might be wise for you to try to help them, but on the other hand, it might not be wise for you to try to help them. Now, please understand that <clears throat> there are grievances that, that take place between people, and the Bible tells us how this should be dealt with. If you think your brother has all against you, what do you do? You go to him. We covered that last week. And you discuss this with him. 
And you iron out the differences that you have. You go to him how? With the whole church? No, you go to him alone. See, the situation is keep it as small as possible. Why? Because contrary to what you might think, there's a whole lot of people that's just as carnal as that brother that's got ought. One of them might be you. So you're better off to go to him alone. Now, you can't improve on the Jesus method or the Bible method, so don't try any other thing. Use that. You go to him alone. You discuss it with him. Then you come back after you've ironed out your differences, and here you come back to your gift at the altar. It's then time for you to seek repentance and, and restoration in, in, in the Lord over that situation. Now there's also a way in which the church uh, goes into some, some uh, disciplinary actions against individuals. Uh, <coughs> the Bible tells us in, in, uh, in Matthew 18 how these should be, should be handled. If a brother goes into sin, you go to him alone, you talk to him. If he fails to listen, what happens? You should take two or three people with you. But I would caution you that if you expect the church to later on take action against this individual by way of disfellowshipping him, make sure that when you take somebody with you, that you, you go and involve the ministry of the church. Because it's at that point in which you feel that it's out of your control, so all you're trying to do now is to set up a situation where the man will see his fault and be restored, and if restoration comes, the restoration should be handled by the ministry of the church. Now, why? Because the Bible says you should do it in the spirit of meekness. Sometimes people who are not experienced can develop a case of spiritual pride. If a man is a bishop, the Bible says he should not be a novice. And the only way you can keep from being a novice is to get experience. And the only way you can get experience, you've got to go through a number of things. Because the Bible says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. Is that what the Bible says? So what can happen sometimes, you go to somebody and you point out their fault, and, and yes, they understand it. Now I'm going to give you a little counsel. And the truth of the matter is, you're not dry behind the ears yourself. And so you start helping them. What happens? You get lifted up with pride. The Bible says it shouldn't be that way. You do it in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself. Why? Because you might fall into temptation. In other words, you hear his problem, and he starts telling you, Let's say for a moment we had a sister in the church who committed adultery. Now, we don't like to think of those things. And, and I want to just say this before we go any further. I have been reading the epistles over and over and over and over and over and over for a long period of time now. I've carefully cons considered the situations of the New Testament. I am a firm believer that the church today has fewer problems, contrary to what you might think, 
than the New Testament church here in the Bible. Now, you just go back and read it. I'm a believer in that. And, and, and if anybody sees the discrepancies, or if anybody has an opportunity to, me being the superintendent, I certainly have that because I've been working with some churches and some church boards and some situations lately. I'm not trying to point all of those things out, but some of them would just shock you. But I'm still, I'm a still be firm believer that the New Testament church experienced more problems than the church does today. I mean, they argued about circumcision. You know, in some of the churches, every male who came in the church, they required circumcision. Now, what if we set up a room downstairs and after we prayed the men through, we took them down and said, now look, we're going to circumcise you. <clears throat> now you think about it for a moment. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to tell you that while the church does have problems, they are much, much, much less <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. What if all of a sudden on some of these feast days, somebody got the idea we're going to keep all those things and we start doing all these things? Well, they did that. They certainly did. And all of a sudden, somebody rose up among us and said, Why, the resurrection has already come. Well, surely not. Well, I can show you in the New Testament. I'm going to do it tonight. Now, we could go on and on and on with some of the situations that they had. So, <clears throat> while I'm not asking to stand up and pat yourself on the back, I commend Calvary Gospel Church and the church today because I really do believe that the problems are fewer and they're not quite as, as uh, the people are not quite as divided in their, their ideas as they were back in the, in the Bible. Now, <clears throat> So, here's a person then that's caught in a fault. Now, we're not talking, when we talk about the wrath of God, of a man who's caught in a fault and restores himself. We're talking about somebody who's caught in a fault, and, and they just continue, and they continue, and they continue. As you remember before, last week I stated that I felt that before God's wrath comes upon people, somebody will come to you and somebody will talk to you. Now, we're talking about the church. We're not talking about the world out there. Because the world does not know God and cannot know God and cannot hear God until such a time that repentance is granted. Now, <clears throat> notice what it says in, in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay, <clears throat> here's the sister that's committed adultery. We talked about it, okay? Somebody goes to her who has not walked with God for a long time. Somebody knows about it, and they start giving her advice. Now, she's wanting to pour her heart out about this situation. You see, she's wanting to tell somebody. Why? Because, you see, adultery or fornication... All the sins that are committed are without the body except sexual sins. That simply means when they are committed, you bear a guilt that you do not bear 
over other sins. And you seek relief from that guilt. And when people seek relief from that guilt, what do they do? They want to tell somebody. So all of a sudden, so you, you talk to this sister, and this sister starts pouring her heart out to you. She tells you about this affair. Now, you're pretty new in the Lord, and you give her solid, sound advice. However, when you walk away, she forgets it, and you can't. So now what's going to happen? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> as a result then, she forgets it. You can't. It's not a sin against your body, so you're not just, just eager to discuss it like from the standpoint of getting relief, but it just keeps going over and over and over in your mind. The first thing you think about, my, how bad this thing is. So then, uh, <clears throat> wow. I don't know if I can handle this or not. So you go over to somebody else and ask them, you know what, i got to talk with you about something. Man, we got a sister in our church that fell into sin, and this is bad. Now please understand, I'm not trying to excuse any sin of fornication or adultery. Those should be dealt with. But I'm talking about they should be dealt with by spiritual people. And so this sister then is told, the other sister was told, so she goes and tells somebody else, she goes and tells somebody else, she goes and tells somebody else, she goes and tells somebody else. Now the situation is that the sister who committed the sin, it's, it's, she has already relieved her responsibility, she feels. She's asked God to forgive her, so as a result she's in the church praising the Lord. Now <coughs> the right people still have, have not found out about it. Because you see, when God forgives, that's one thing. Restoration, however, can be slow and painful. You don't just restore such a one in, in, in just a moment's time. Because when, when these things happen, credibility has to be reestablished in the congregation. Now everybody's feeling bad about this sister who's done this, except the preacher and or the pastor and, and the elders and such, the people who know it. Or don't know it, rather. See? So, you can see how things like that can get out of hand. Now, as I said before, gossip is sharing detrimental information about someone's character who is not a part of the problem, nor the solution. Now, that just simply means if you're doing a whole lot of talking about things that, that, that you're not a part of, and you have no way of solving it, then you're just wrong. That's it. Follow what I'm saying? You're just wrong. If you know about something and you think that it ought to be dealt with, sometimes it's best to tell spiritual leaders. Let them deal with it. <clears throat> now, the reason why that these things have to be dealt with is because the Bible tells us that it comes a time then after God has sent somebody to talk to you or the preachers preach, your conscience has burned within you for a long time. After a while it has silenced itself and you're still doing what you're doing. There is such a thing as holding the truth in unrighteousness. Now holding the truth in unrighteousness, that simply means <coughs> you believe that God became man. You believe that the whole gospel should be preached to the whole world. You've discovered the difference, according to Acts 2.38.
You wear His name. And you believe that that name is Jesus. But what happens then, you associate all of these things to a vessel that's not clean. Now when you do this, you're just asking for the wrath of God. Now let me explain what wrath really means. Well, first let me explain what it does not mean. What it does not mean. Turn to Ephesians 4, 26. Ephesians 4, verse 26. <clears throat> Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Now that's speaking of the wrath of man. Now, also, if you will look at chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture here means in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> let's say that a father provokes a son to wrath. Okay. John, you're the guinea pig tonight. I go up to you and say, well, son, you sure did a stupid thing today. But you know, you're kind of noted for that. You take after your mom. Or at least her side of the family. Okay. <clears throat> now, now, see, I'm dead. I tower over him. I'm bigger than he is. Now, what's he going to do? <clears throat> He gets mad. I mean, he really gets mad. Now, when he gets mad, what, what alternative does he have but to just go someplace alone and pout? Because you see, what, what happens is that if in the event he rises up against me and he towers up and he says, But Dad! I say, you listen to me just a minute, son. Now, any time that you think that you're big enough to run this household. You got another thing coming. If you want to try it, we'll settle it right now. <laughs> so what does he do? He goes to his room and he sits there and he pouts. Under his breath, he's breathing, cursings and swearings and such. You see, a lot of this is in the world. Well, the son thinks, now, how can I get out of this? I know what I'll do. <clears throat> I'll just play hooky tomorrow from school. And I'll get caught someplace downtown and the truant officer called Dad. So the next day, the truant officer called and said, Mr. Grant, you know your son's not in school today? He isn't? No. I asked him why. He says, well, I'm mad at my dad and I want to get even. Well, the truant officer takes him back to school and writes out a citation, all of which he knows I have to pay because he doesn't have money. Then he sets up another little scheme. What's, what's the problem? See, he's provoked to wrath, but that's not what the Bible's speaking of when it speaks of the wrath of God. It's taken from an entirely different word. When it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, 
Every now and then a husband and a wife will get into a little spat and they pray, one on one side of the bed and one on the other side of the bed and they get in the bed and they turn their backs to each other and they turn the light out, the sun going down. In other words, it's time for rest now. And they won't say good night and there's no sweet kisses or anything like that. And they just sit there And they, in their own minds, they conjure up ways in which they can get even with each other. And for the most part, they'll say, I'm not going to say a word all night. Now, neither one of them can sleep four or five hours later. They're still over there just trying their best to snore and they can't snore. (coughs) It's quite personal. Some of you seem to know what this is all about. You ever experienced anything like that? You may say, Brother Grant, how do you know? Well, I know. But when the Bible says that the wrath of God is kindled against all unrighteousness, it's taken from an entirely different word. It means violent passion. It means justifiable abhorrence. It means that God is seeking or chasing as a father would reach out and grab his child and pull him back and say, Son, don't you run from me. You're dealing with Big Dad now. It's a different thing altogether, see. God is ready to take it out. He's seeking vengeance. He, is, he has a strong desire of passion. Just like one who would reach out in excitement. Ready to unfurl any anger upon the individual that he can possibly put. Now that's what the Bible is talking about when it speaks of the wrath of God. Now, God only acts that way when He's provoked. But when He is provoked, He will do it. Now, what we want to do, (coughs) we want to just talk about this holding truth and unrighteousness. Now, you, you see, the truth of the matter is, when you read Romans 1, and it goes on and talks about the reprobate, it's really talking about the children of disobedience, is it not? Now, you're going to find this out when you really sit down to study it out, that Satan's greatest work on the planet Earth is done through the children of disobedience. Read your Bible. God is constantly talking about a woman by the name of Jezebel. He constantly talks about a Gentile priest by the name of Balaam. Oh, so some of those great men, like Herod, wicked men like Nebuchadnezzar, it seems as if God just destroys them and forgets it. But He keeps bringing up some of these other men those associated once with the truth. 
And not that I feel that I have all the answers, but it, it does appear when you read in the Bible. See, the reprobate is a reject. The, <clears throat> the reject is a person who has gone too far to be saved. And what happens is this. Now, it doesn't mean the wrath of God is only revealed against the reprobate, but it's those who hold the truth of God in error. See? Or in unrighteousness. But it appears that once human flesh is disciplined at the foot of the cross, if in the event the individual who has disciplined himself by the cross of the Lord, ever reaches a place in which he becomes a non-disciplined person. It's like letting a lion out of a cage, a bird out of a pen someplace. It seems to be worse than, 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 than just the, the, the first state of the individual. Now, the, the, the record, the Bible bears witness of that. Now, if we look at this, it says, Because, Romans 1, 19, That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were what? Thankful. Isn't it, isn't it something? And I don't know if you've ever associated a complaining, murmuring spirit to a non-thankful or unthankful attitude. But, but you see, Peter says that, that charity covers a multitude of sins, Brother Seidel. Now, <clears throat> you and I know that, that, that all sin will be open before the Lord one of these days. Now, you know that. The Bible says that. Does that mean then that, that God's love just overlooks sin? No. I think, taken in the context in which it's written, that what he was saying is that if you love somebody, they may have faults and failures, but you're not just going to be looking for those things all the time. Your love covers their faults and failures. Now, if you don't like somebody, and you get it in for somebody, everything they do is potentially wrong. And if it's not wrong, you'll find out a way in which you can make it wrong. Now, I'm talking about some, some very important things here tonight, folks. While <coughs> place here, we won't go all the way to the reprobate because I do not believe that I am preaching to reprobates. I don't believe there is a reprobate in the house tonight. I thank the Lord for that. But on the other hand, we always want to be right and true in the sight of God. All right? What I'd like to do at this time then, <coughs> I'd like for us to just turn to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2. And we're going to go through some of these things that, that are very, very important. 
Now, sometimes before you can properly describe something as to what it is, you need to talk about what it is not, or the negative aspect. Righteousness simply means being right, or doing right. That's, that's what it means. Righteousness, for the most part, is what you do. Holiness is what you have that makes you do. Now, there are many times in the New Testament the words are interchangeable. Now, you can prove that your righteousness always comes from God or from the Holy Ghost. Is God holy? Is His Word holy? You think the Bible is right? When I say the Bible is right on the front, it says Holy Bible. You believe this is a Holy Bible? You believe all of it? Now you say, oh, you're even talking about the, the name on the outside of it. Well, I just believe it's a Holy Bible, not because they put it out there. I just think they put it out there right. Why is the Word of the Lord right? Because it's an expression of God. It's inseparable from God. So you have, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you have holiness in you. Now that holiness must come out. So as a result, what do you do? You act right. When you act right, you become righteous. Now, if a person is doing right without the Holy Ghost, and he can by virtue of having an image that was made in the likeness of God, Paul says in Romans 2, the Gentiles do by nature the things contained in the law. In other words, many people who don't know God know that it's not right for them to go over and steal something from their neighbor. So, you don't steal from this man. Where'd you get that? You got a conscience inside of you. You do by nature the things contained in the law. But will God take that right doing and impute that as salvation? No. Because your righteousness, that which you do as a result of what you are, is no more than filthy rags in the sight of God. Now you may do some things right, but you don't, you see, you don't deserve a pat on the back just for doing some things right. Now, you are born inside then. And the birth that takes place inside of your spirit and inside of your soul, that spirit that's inside that's so holy causes you to do right. Now, you may say, but Brother Grant, I thought that man, true, man can do some things that are right because he has a conscience. But you'll find the man who's doing certain things that are right. He's going to do a whole lot of things that are not right. Consequently, his life not being under the blood, him not living obedient life to the Lord, what happens then? Well, he just simply is not born again. He's not saved. Now, so holiness means clean, pure, well, the opposite of holiness 
or the opposite of unrighteousness would be uncleanness. So if you want to look at the opposite of holiness in the Bible, look up subjects like uncleanness. Impure thoughts and things. Okay? So we go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2, verse 15. Pardon me, I got uh, verse 15, but that's, uh, yes, let's look at verse 15 first. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. We talked about that last week. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Now a lot of people say, oh Brother Grant, that's talking about the vile sinner. Listen, this is an epistle written to the church. And I don't think it would take me very long to prove that this is talking about people who hold truth in unrighteousness. You can go on down and read it all. (coughs) For yourself, if you'd like, verse 18, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise themselves while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. And, and you know, this is exactly what we were talking about when we talk about a man or a woman who goes to try to help somebody and he's not spiritual and he's not an experienced individual. What happens? He becomes guilty of the very thing that he went to talk to the individual about. You've got the certain things that you hear that people do can wear and wear and wear and wear and wear until you fall into the same temptation. Now, I'm just going to put just a, this is, is real blunt to you, and I don't know of any way of putting it, but I remember one time I heard a preacher's wife talk about a sin that her father committed. And her father, who had committed the sin certainly was not right in what he had done. But he had committed adultery. And she just talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. I felt led of the Lord to go talk to her. So I went and talked to her. I said, now, i tell you what. I want to talk with you because I feel that the Holy Ghost has instructed me. Now, what's happening here is that you're becoming bitter against your father. Now, the Bible, the book of Hebrews speaks about the possibility of some root of bitterness springing up within you. Now, you see, you have told me about this, and you've told a lot of other people. And there is a great concern over the sin of your father. My concern now is not necessarily over the sin of your father, but the very fact that I can see this springing up within you. Well, she told me, she said, I know I'm bitter against my dad, but I can't help it. He's left my mother. He's gone with another woman now. And what about my grandkids? 
My own children caught him in a restaurant with this woman. I said, well, <clears throat> now you have told me you were bitter. Now let me just say this. A bitter person can not be saved. Well, why? Because you see, the bitter, bitterness is the fruit of a non-forgiving spirit. You see, it's your bitterness that's causing you to retaliate against your father's sin. It's your bitterness that's causing you to spread this every place. Now, <clears throat> when you develop a non-forgiving spirit, that simply means you cut off the blood of the Lord that forgives your own sins. Now, you know what you're doing? You're opening yourself up to the same thing that happened to your dad. Well, she got mad at me. I mean, she really did. I said, wait a minute. Now, I'm just, I'm telling you what I know is possible. It wasn't very long after that that, that uh, this individual, along with her husband, moved to another part of the country. And then I got word back she had run off with a man and left her husband, left the kids behind, and today she's divorced from her husband. She was overtaken in the very same thing that her father was overtaken in. How can that happen, Brother Grant? She just developed bitterness against him. And there was no avenue in which she could cleanse herself from it. See? And so that's what the Bible is speaking of here. I'm not here to paint a beautiful picture that, that the church is perfect. So any of you who are new, now that doesn't mean we got a lot of sin going around, but I'm here to tell you, if you see something that's wrong, make sure that you do have a forgiving spirit. You may say, but they never asked me. I'm here to tell you Jesus on the cross before one sinner cried out from an altar repentance, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Was it Stephen also that prayed the same thing while they had their fists clenched and they were gnashing upon him with their teeth? Now, notice what happens. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped through the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again, notice this, they escaped all of these, but now they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Isn't that something? Now, we're just going to back up. <coughs> and we'll start reading uh, verse 9 of Second Peter 2. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. In other words... If you have a trial or some trouble comes your way, God knows how to deliver you. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished, but chiefly them that walk 
after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Now, uncleanness is what? The opposite of holiness. Now, if you want to find out what the opposite of holiness is, here it is. They despise government. In other words, one of the first things that happens to a person when they backslide, this is usually what happens. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. What? Who gives the pastor authority to tell me what to do? That's one of the first things that happens to people. Now they they usually go through this syndrome of being unthankful. That is, nobody Calvary Gospel Church loves me. Well, they got clicks over there. <clears throat> you felt real good when you were part of it, though. You understand what I'm saying? See, they interpret. And so, well, I don't know. I think it'd probably be better some other place. You know, this is the way they get things. Nobody likes me. And so they begin to talk. Next thing, they despise government. Then what happens? Presumptuous they are. <coughs> Now, this is, this is a real biggie because it just seems to be that we have read so many books and things and so many mysteries and detective stories, we try to figure everything out. wonder how many of these books are on the market. Well, sometimes, I'm not saying they're all wrong, but what I'm saying is we, we kind of feel like we're the private eye for God. See? So we're going to figure all this out. It's quite ironic that this happened today. I gave some advice to, to a couple <coughs> in my office today. It wasn't but an hour or so later I received a phone call. phone call came from way down south. It's uh, strange how fast some things, how fast news travels. <coughs> I understand my sister came in to see you today. Uh, yes, sir. He said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If you knew everything that I knew, and he just went on and on and on. And let me give you a bit of information. I said, now, wait a minute. Uh, are you just assuming that I just took sides with this individual? Well, yeah, that's the way I understand it. Well, how did you understand it that way? Well... Seemed like everybody else doubts what I say. Figured you did too. I said, well, sir, I don't know you. I don't even know them. Well, did she tell you this? Yes, she did. What would you think about it? I said, well, wait a minute. I, I don't know that I even thought whether she was right or wrong when she said it. You know, I only heard one side of the story. See, uh, in the book of Proverbs, I'm amazed at the wisdom that you find in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says only a fool will fail to search out the truth of the matter. You see, you judge things when you only hear one side of something. And uh, so, now wait just a minute. There are individuals, for your information, 
Maybe just let me help you here now. I said there are individuals who can hear things and their character is pure enough that they will not pass judgment upon it. See, <clears throat> when you become presumptuous, what do you do? You prejudge situations before you even know the conclusion. You don't know the conclusion of the matter. You haven't heard both sides. You just, in your own mind, you just, this is what happened. No, I got that figured out. I know that individual. Now, <clears throat> in other words, been baptized, Jesus' name, spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost came. Make sure, listen, when you make that a claim, though, that you hold this truth in righteousness. Because when you get where you despise government, you're unthankful that causes you to gossip, you have a non-forgiving spirit as a result, otherwise you wouldn't do it. And you begin to judge things prematurely. You're holding the truth in unrighteousness. What's going to happen? Well, you're going to hear a Bible study like this. <laughs> and then maybe God will warn you some other way. And if He can't get through after a while, you know what's going to happen? The wrath of God's going to fall upon you. Now, folks. <clears throat> If you don't believe me, you, there are many passages in the New Testament. Take it and read it. I'm just, I'm just really just touching a, a few little points here. They despise government. They're presumptuous. They are self-willed. And they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. <clears throat> now, the despising government and the speaking evil of dignities... Uh, we could kind of put together. Basically, though, they don't want any rule over them, and they're very, very quick to say it. You know, just, well, huh, I don't know. I just, uh, you know. <clears throat> Most everybody in this world will reach place one time in his life in which God honors his authority. You know that? <clears throat> You'll either hold a job in which you will have authority, you'll be a parent, you may be a child now, but you'll be a parent, whether it be mom or dad, and authority be placed in your hands. You'll rise on up and maybe some other position of authority. But you see, the truth of the matter is, listen to me carefully. You see, submission to authority is not really predicated upon who's right or who's wrong. Submission is an attitude that you have. And whether your spiritual leader is doing what's right or wrong, we're not talking about sin, open sin, or we're just talking about judgment situations that he has to deal with. He has to, by nature of his calling, he has to tell people yes and no in many situations. And surprisingly, sometimes spiritual leaders, and I'm not just here to defend my position as a pastor. We've got a lot of spiritual leaders around here. 
Sometimes spiritual leaders wrestle with things for weeks and finally come to a conclusion after fasting and praying. And then it's, it, it amazes me how quick God can speak to somebody first time they hear it. They can hear it and they pass judgment just like this. Oh, I don't believe that. And they get too quick. Trigger happy. Now, <clears throat> let's just go on and read a little bit more. Whereas angels, which are great, greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not. In other words, they're presumptuous. They're just going to judge things they don't even know anything about. And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. I could go on. Now listen, I don't care what you say. You read all of this and you'll find out. Now Peter was talking to the children of disobedience. He was talking to the people that are in the church. Now, <clears throat> let's go to uh, 2 Timothy 2. Boy, here's a real eye-opener. Second <clears throat> Timothy 2. Uh, <clears throat> maybe we should uh, read, uh, start reading verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, <clears throat> we hold the truth, but we need to be able to rightly divide or handle that truth. See, that truth should never be placed into hands of corrupt individuals. It should be placed in the hands of clean individuals. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. Now why did they say that? Because they, they probably had testimony of the resurrection that took pay, place in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 51, the Bible says when Jesus Christ died upon the cross that the veil was rent in twain. And the Bible says that the graves were opened up in Jerusalem. And many of the, the bodies of the saints were resurrected after the resurrection of the Lord. They, they probably heard of all this, and, and all they was doing is saying, hey, this resurrection we're talking about already took place. The, you, you know that many people bore witness of the fact that, that a resurrection took place. So let's don't believe all that business about the resurrection. Okay, that's what they were doing in all probability. <coughs> it's past already. And with this they overthrow the faith of some. Because you see, their, their faith is in the resurrection of the Lord. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, 
And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See what he's saying. Same thing. But in a great house, now notice this, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now that simply means that if a church is doing its rightful, God-called uh, mission, you're going to get in some people that are honorable, but I'm here to tell you you're going to get in some that are not honorable. You're never going to be able to weed all the people out of the church. Why? Because you're constantly, the church is constantly bringing people in. And when you get people in, you're going to have vessels of honor and some to dishonor. And it just might be that after you come to the Lord, you might be a vessel of dishonor for a while until all of a sudden you study the Word of the Lord and you get this revelation of what you need. Now notice what he says. So in a great house, in a great house, let's say great house, great house. So don't be discouraged with the church when somebody does something you don't like, even if it's something that you know that's wrong. Because in a great house, there will be some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, however, <clears throat> here's the ideal. Verse 21, And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Isn't that great? <clears throat> Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now notice what verse 26 says. And that they may recover themselves. Now he's talking about people who fell into unrighteousness. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by his, the devil's own will. You see, Satan can do his greatest work in the children of disobedience. And this is the reason why that God looks down when children are living in disobedience and he will talk to them and their conscience will, will live within them. After a while, the conscience ceases. And then some preacher will preach something. And somebody else will do something. And somebody else will do something. All of a sudden the Lord says, This has got to stop. Because you see, you can become an enemy to the thing that saved you according to Philippians, the third chapter, verse 18 and 19. You can actually become an enemy to the cross of the Lord. So the very thing that saved you, you have become an enemy to it. Several of you are turning there. Eh? 
<clears throat> Philippians 3, verse 17, 18 and 19. <clears throat> the end of those who become an enemy of the cross is destruction. Whose God is their belly. That means that they're self-willed. Their sole desire is to just please their belly. Now belly here is not talking about the little stomach. Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It's talking about the innermost being here. So their God is their belly. In other words, their self-will. Just everybody treat me nice so I'll feel good about everything. And uh, preacher, preach something that will tickle my ears. Now they glory in their shame. That simply means that they brag about the things that they, they do that's wrong. And then they mind earthly things. They become extremely materialistic. So as a result, these people then <coughs> do what? These people simply become children of disobedience. And then the wrath of God is going to rest upon them. Now, I would say... And I've had people come to me and say, Brother Grant, how do I know if, uh, <coughs> how do I know if, if I'm just involved in, in uh, some trial? How do I know if, if I'm being chastised of the Lord? Or how do I know if, if maybe the wrath of God is resting upon me? Well, you start out, number one, by carefully scrutinizing all of your daily activities. In the light of what the Bible says. I say in the light of what the Bible says. And it just, it just has to be that way. And then secondly, when you are reading about things, and you are guilty of them, but it doesn't bother you at all, You better throw up the red flag, and you better make a trip to an altar someplace, and you better seek the face of God to restore your will. See, God doesn't save you against your will. He only saves people who want to be saved. And you better make a trip to the altar and pray, God, restore my will. I'm prejudging things that I ought not to judge. It doesn't bother me to speak about my spiritual leaders at all. None of that bothers me. I, I'm too, too quick to, to, to get on the phone and explain the weakness of somebody else. I, I've got some feelings inside. Uh, they, they come out, I, I'm bitter about certain things. Or... I'm just unthankful. I find it real hard to really be thankful for my brothers and sisters and the church and everything. And I do a lot of complaining. You know, just kind of grouch around all day long about everything that's wrong. You know, who put this all to rail together anyway? Well, if they'd had my mitre box. I wonder why they left this crack back down here. That's it's good for chewing gum wrappers. Somebody ought to, ought to have better sense than that. You know, there are people gets in people get in habits of just living their life that way. <clears throat> you know, 
Everything's dumb. Sometimes the kids can get into that. In our school, we said, look, we don't tolerate that. Dumb old school. Dumb old books. You know, Got to go with that dumb job. <clears throat> the only difference between that and cursing is that your integrity is still to the point that you won't say it, but the Spirit's there anyway. <coughs> Follow what I'm saying? It's there anyway. Now, <coughs> if you have symptoms of a sickness, what do you do? If you go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes some medication, what do you do? You read the label and you take it. And people can have spiritual sicknesses. And they just seem to think that all of a sudden they're just going to get better by just doing the same old thing. They don't. They just simply don't get better. That simply means then we need to seek a cure for it. Now next week we'll be talking about trials or we'll be talking about chastisement, which are very closely related. But I'll tell you this one thing. You see, when God chastises, his whole purpose is to bring you back, quickly back to a place of restoration so you can get back on the road. And many times when wrath comes, God leaves you laying low. And many times you can't even find your way back to God. Praise God. Let us stand. How long have I been going anyway? Have you turned the tape over after an hour? Brother Moran says yes. <clears throat> Praise God. You know, <clears throat> really, <clears throat> I, I want to dig into this Bible more than I've ever wanted to get into it before. I want to search it out. You know, there's some real eye-openers in the Bible. You know, it's not just Acts 2.38 all the way. I mean, I appreciate everybody that's been baptized in Jesus' name and everybody that's been filled with the Holy Ghost. I like prayer meetings where everybody's talking in tongues. I like worship services where people are clapping their hands, some dancing in the Spirit, some running the aisles. I like all of those things. You know what? I like to do it. I really do. And while all of those things are very, very important, we don't want to leave off something that's equal as important. And that is the Word of God that keeps us solid and sure in the faith. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Thank you, dear God. Lord, we love you, God. Oh, praise God, praise God. My Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus, Lord. I love you, God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, God. 
Why don't we just all find us a place to kneel and pray before we're dismissed tonight. Just find a place to kneel and pray and call upon the Lord. Oh, thank God. Thank God.